Well, good morning, everyone. It is really good uh, to see you. Uh, thank you for the, the warm uh, welcome and introduction. Uh, it really is uh, a privilege for me to get to be here to open God's Word for us. This is special for me, uh, really special for me. And a big reason that it is uh, special for me is because uh, several years back, several years back, it was in this very sanctuary that um, at a Presbytery meeting that I was ordained uh, into gospel ministry in the PCA. Uh, literally sitting there having flashbacks of my floor exams for ordination and almost had a panic attack, I think. But, um, and this will be the last sermon that I preach uh, in this presbytery before my family and I moved to Austin, as uh, Steve mentioned, to Lord willing, work alongside uh, All Saints Presbyterian to plant a church in that city. So in God's kind, gracious providence, my being here with you this morning serves um, like a bookend. Um, my ordained ministry in the upstate began here at Clemson Pres, and will now end here. And God planned it that way. I didn't even think about it until this week. God planned it that way, and I, I praise him for it. Uh, but I also come with some trepidation uh, today as well. I learned that Dr. Ligon Duncan preached for you the past two Sundays, and let's just be honest, those are big shoes to fill, and he's not an, uh, an easy act to follow, but hopefully uh, none of us came to church this morning to hear from a mere man, but we came to hear God speak to his people through his word. So with that, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to go ahead and turn with me to the New Testament letter of Jude. Jude. Uh, we're going to be looking at just two verses this morning, but before we do that, I want to begin with a quote uh, from a book that I read a while back, just one line, and it goes like this. Here's the quote. So many people on the road are looking for their fathers. So many people on the road are looking for their fathers. That was written by uh, James K.A. Smith, professor of philosophy up at Calvin, a name some of you may be familiar with, and it's taken from his more recent book, On the Road with St. Augustine. Now, for those who may be less familiar with Augustine, he was an influential Christian writer, thinker, pastor uh, from North Africa who lived in the early 400s. He's probably best known for his confessions. But Smith has a chapter in his book, On the Road, entitled Fathers, which, if you were to ask me, is worth the price of the book, probably because it hits so close to home. But it's in that chapter that he says, so many people on the road who are out searching for something more, for meaning, for significance, for purpose, for something that makes sense of their story, are looking for their fathers. And he goes even further and suggests that this may be, quote, the oldest story, the baseline narrative of the human condition. So get what he's saying there. He is saying that this may be true for every single one of us, regardless of the kind of father you have or don't have. That as human beings created in God's image, you and I can't stop wanting to be seen and to be known and loved. 
Let me try to make this just a little more personal. I grew up in a small town in West Virginia, spent the first 20 years of my life there. And let me say from, from the start before I say anything else that I love my parents and thank God for them. But when I was uh, two years old, dad and mom got a divorce. Neither of them were Christians at the time. They ended up getting a divorce and dad just left. He was there one day and gone the next. So my mom got custody of my older brother and me, and I just remember as a young kid thinking to myself that it always felt like we were moving from one apartment to the next. I think it was just because we couldn't afford to pay the rent. And so we moved on to another apartment. And I never really, as a kid, felt like I belonged anywhere, but was just bouncing from one school to the next, really trying to fit in before having to move on to the next place. And add to the mix, in the middle of all of that dysfunction, a dad who wasn't around very much. By God's grace, our relationship is much better now, but back in those days, in those early formative years of my life, I don't really remember feeling loved by my father. That I mattered to him. That I brought him some kind of real joy and delight and not just disappointment, which is really what I was craving, what I really needed. Now maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking to yourself that sure, the details aren't the same, but your story isn't all that different from mine. Maybe it doesn't have anything at all to do with a father. But maybe what does resonate is this deep longing inside of you to be loved by someone who actually sees you. Who you don't have to hide from or pretend to be someone that you're not. But to be loved by someone who knows you, who delights in you who's committed to you and who will never leave. And so when we come to the Bible and we hear unbelievable truths like the God of the universe has now become our father through faith in his son Jesus and we've become heirs with him of all things that he actually truly takes real delight in his children and is committed to their good Always. For some of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we have a really hard time believing it. And a big reason it's so hard for us is because we're bringing so much baggage with us, wondering, yeah, I hear that. I hear what the Bible says, but is he going to bail on me when the going gets tough? Because that's been my experience with people in my life. Or when I disobey and I let him down, will the door slam in my face? as he heads down the road or down to the basement in anger and disappointment. Or, it's a big or there, or is he the kind of father and the kind of God whose home is always a happy one and whose children are always safe and always secure and who are captivated by his love for them and brothers and sisters, it is that story that you and I want more than anything to be true. And it's that story that gets right to the heart of the gospel 
and right to the heart of our passage. So again, let me invite you, if you haven't already, to turn with me to the letter of Jude. It's right before Revelation, just 25 verses long. And we're gonna look at the last two verses of Jude, which is Jude's doxology. It's his hymn of praise to God. He's written what he's wanted to write, and he ends with this hymn of praise to God. And all I really wanna do over these next several minutes together is simply pause with Jude as he does here at the end and praise God for the gospel that gets us to him. Just pause and praise God for the gospel that gets us to him. Because the one who gets us to God is the one who gets the glory. Because here's what's true, and I want us to believe it. The only reason that you and I can keep ourselves in the love of God is because God is keeping us in his. The only reason that you and I can keep ourselves in the love of God is because God is keeping us in his. And it is precisely because that is true that he is worthy to be praised by his people both now and for all eternity. So let's read our text. This is Jude verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you even now In these next several minutes, would you write these words on our hearts? Your word spoken to us that we might worship you just as Jude did when he first wrote them. We ask this in and for Jesus' name. Amen. So right out of the gate here, let me ask a question. Who's the you there in verse 24? Who's the you there? Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless. I think that's an important question to ask when we stop to consider what's at stake and what's being promised in this passage. That the people he has in mind here, that they will be kept and they will be presented blameless on that day. And we find the answer way back at the beginning in verse one, where Jude actually tells us who he has in mind. So if you have a Bible, look there at verse one with me. He says, I'm writing to those who are, I get this, called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now before we take another step, stop for a second and just try to feel the wonder of that. the wonder of what he is saying there about you, right there in your seat, you specifically. That if you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, and you believe the gospel, you love Jesus, how is it even possible that you do and that you are? Jude tells us it's because you are called and loved by the Father and you are kept for his Son Jesus, think about that. You and I are called and we are kept because of the love that the Father has for us. 
Guys, which has to mean that he is not the kind of father who is frowning at you. But rather, he is one who is smiling, who sees you as the apple of his eye, and who has a beautiful purpose for your life. In a word, as Jude says, you are beloved. Let that sink in. And we see that this helps answer not only the who's the you in our passage, those called, loved, kept, but even more importantly, who's the him here? Now to him who is able. So with that as the backdrop, drop back down to verses 24 and 25 and listen to the two promises that this God, your Father, makes to you his beloved that will redound to the praise of his glory. First promise, he says at the beginning of verse 24, he alone can keep you from stumbling. Or you could also read that as keep you from falling. It's gonna keep you from falling. It's gonna keep you from stumbling. Again, if we back up a bit, Jude has already told them earlier in verse three that they must contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. That they must fight for it to insist that the gospel of Jesus Christ never be twisted into something that it is not. And why is that so important? Because it would be absolutely useless at saving anyone. And the reason that he is compelled to tell them that it is because someone had, some people had already crept into the church with a distorted view of the gospel who were saying that the grace of God that's been given to them in Jesus Christ gives you a license to sin. So the logic goes like this, that if grace is free, that if the grace given by God because of what his son Jesus accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, if grace is free for the sinner, then living fast and loose is the freedom that it affords. Right? Just eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. And man, if that's not alive and well in our culture today. And Jude is quick to say, don't you dare buy what they are selling. Because that is not the gospel. But it's a distortion of it. It's a denial, and it leads to damnation. People who live like that and who think like that, Jude says, they aren't praising God's grace, but they are perverting it. So he says in verse three, contend for the faith. And then in verse 21, he tells them, keep yourselves in the love of God. All right then, so what's the connection between that and what he says here in verse 24? Because here's the thing, we can't afford to make the mistake of twisting the gospel in the opposite direction, right? All the way from license to legalism, which is just as deadly and equally alive and well today. That it's all about what you and I do rather than what is being done for us. So what he's saying in verse 24 is that the only reason 
that you and I can keep ourselves in the love of God, as verse 21 says, is because God is keeping us in his. That's the reason. That's the only reason. That because he is our father and we are beloved by him, he will not forsake us or let us fall from the faith. Otherwise, he himself would be found unfaithful. And so his promise to his children is that he is the one who will keep them from stumbling, which means, think about this, that in every failure, got some failures? And every failure that you experience in life, he is refining you. In every uncertainty, And in every season, he is showing you his sufficiency. In every circumstance and in every sin, he is pointing you to the cross and to the Savior who died there to save you. Friends, this is exactly the way that God intends to keep us. It's by by keeping our eyes fixed on him and off of ourselves. I am convinced that when you and I come to the end of our lives and we look back at all of it, come to the end of our lives, we look back at all of it. The highs, the lows, the mountains, the valleys, all the dangers, toils, snares, and sins that we have walked through. We will be able to say with absolute confidence, not once did I walk alone. Not once did I walk alone but he was faithful to keep me from falling for my father has been holding my hand all the way home. That's what he's promising. So that when we leave this life and we enter into eternity, we will encounter a father whose face we could not see, but one whose love and grace we could never escape. So Christian, in all the stuff of your life, Can you see how he is shaping you more into the image of his son so that on that day you can stand in his presence without fault and full of joy forever? The promise is true. He is keeping sin from having the final say in your story. He will keep you from falling. That's the first promise, which leads to the second and why Jude pauses to praise God here. It's not only that he is keeping you from something, from stumbling, but he is also keeping you for someone, his son. Look at the end of verse 24. It says that he will present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. As you sit there right now, Try to get that picture in your mind. You being presented before the presence of God's glory on that day. Don't think about anyone or anything else. Just think about yourself. Your your story with all of your sins, all of your shortcomings, all of your insecurities. But on that day, on that day, sanctified blameless, sinless, 
with nothing more to hide. As you stand face to face with the one that you were made for and you are fully seen, fully known, fully loved by an infinite God and Father forever. Friends, whether you realize it now or not, and I pray that you do, this is what your heart and my heart so desperately, so desperately long for. This is home. This is happiness. And it is God alone who gets us there to himself. Which is why Jude can say that when that day finally comes, it comes with great joy. Now here's a question. Whose joy is it? Is it your joy and mine or is it God's joy in us? As I've thought about this, I can't help but think that the answer has to be both. And here's some of the reason why I believe that. If you were to go over to Ephesians chapter five, in the passage where Paul's talking about marriage, he uses language that's similar to Jude's here when he says that marriage is a parable between Christ and the church. That Jesus is the bridegroom who, out of great love for his bride, Paul says, gave up his life for her, verse 27 of Ephesians 5, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now here's the thing. I've been to a lot of weddings and I have yet to meet a bridegroom who wasn't beaming with joy as the doors in the back swung open and his beautiful bride dressed in white, pure, blameless as it were, was presented to him. And I have yet to meet a bride who walked down the aisle with indifference, who wasn't smiling from ear to ear while the tears streamed from her eyes, overcome with emotion, as she approaches the man she's waited her whole life to marry. It is this picture on that day that Jude puts before us in order to stir up our hearts to praise the one who by his precious blood purchased us that we might be presented to him as a bride blameless and beaming with joy. That's the point. So let me ask, how could a father who had a son that he loved, desperately loved, who was lost but is now found, not be glad that he's got him back? Or how could a son who spent so much of his life wandering and wallowing in sin but is welcomed home by a father who went looking for him, who embraced him, who celebrated his homecoming with a party, not be overcome with emotion? Or how could a bridegroom who poured out his life for his bride not rejoice on his wedding day? Or how could a bride not be overcome with joy for the love of a husband who is faithfully committed to her happiness forever? The promise is true, Jude says. He will present us blameless before the presence of his glory 
with great joy. Oh, but how is it true? How is it true? How are either of these incredible promises even possible? And Jude's answer there in verse 25 is crystal clear. All of it, from beginning to end, is the accomplishment of the cross. It is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The promises are true, brothers and sisters, because of the gospel. Jesus purchased them with his broken body and shed blood. That is why they are true. So let me encourage us as people who believe the promises, and I pray that the majority of you already do, and I'm praying even now that those who don't yet believe would believe. Just like Jude does here, and all that God is for us in Jesus, we would pause and pause often to praise him for the gospel of his grace that will get us to God. Where we will be at that day free of sin and full of joy forever. Just as a way to try to help us do that, even this week, let me briefly offer five suggestions, five practical ways for us to apply this passage. I want to do it by using the acronym PAUSE. So P-A-U-S-E, pause. First, P, make it personal. Make it personal. If you're anything like me and you come to a text like this, your default is to think that it's written for and about somebody else, right? Don't do that. Instead, put yourself in the story. Because God, who is writing it, is speaking to you, right there, speaking to you. So stop and ask yourself, do I personally believe that the gospel is true? Do I believe that this text is true, that Jesus is true, that this is actually who and what my Father is really like, that he is going to keep me from falling? And he's going to keep me and present me blameless to stand before his face with full joy forever. Personalize it. That's the first thing. Second, A, ask God to bridge the gap between your head and your heart. Who doesn't need this? Plead with God to do it. From merely believing these truths intellectually or with indifference, where you just simply say, yeah, I guess, I guess I believe he's worthy to be praised, his promises are true, but there's little to no passion. There's no real response to it totally upending the way that you live in light of who he's promised to be and do for you so that your heart time and again overflows in praise. Only God can do that. So ask him. Third thing, you. Utilize every circumstance, every situation, every single moment as a lens through which you can see God working in your life, doing exactly what he promises to do in this passage. To see that every time, this gets really nitty-gritty, right? When we think this way, it's really rubber meets the road. 
that every time you sin and you repent and you seek his and other people's forgiveness, to every time that you feel encouraged to pray and to ask him for help, to every time that you are confronted with putting confidence in something other than God, to every time your heart longs for home and for a happy father, to know in that very moment that that is God keeping you. That's your heavenly father keeping his promises to you. So don't waste one ounce of the stuff of your life, including your suffering, but use all of it as a window through which you get to see God's promises playing out for you in a thousand practical, providential ways. And this takes us to the fourth thing, S. Seek to start each day with the scriptures. From beginning to end, Every page of the Bible shows how God, the Father, Son, and Spirit has worked in the world and on the pages of history to redeem and rescue his people and bring them into the reward of his presence where they will be holy and happy with him forever. Every single page. So let me ask, do you, do you see God's word first and foremost being about how you keep yourself in the love of God? It's just a list of rules and regulations. It's first and foremost about how you and I keep ourselves in the love of God. Or is it first and foremost an invitation for you to see how God in Christ is keeping you in his? And guys, how we answer that question makes all the difference in the world. And it's a litmus test on how deep the gospel has gotten into our hearts. So let me encourage you, let me encourage us, seek to start each day in the scriptures, even if it's just five or 10 minutes, there's no rule here. And perhaps what you will find is yourself getting caught up in the greatest story in the universe and lost in God's love for you, which is the only place that you and I will be found. Now fifth and last, E. End every day where Jude ends this letter by getting your eyes off of yourself. You ever just go to bed at night feeling awful about the day? Get your eyes off yourself, off your performance, on how well you did or you didn't do on your P, A, U, and S that day, but in with getting your eyes on God and on his promises to perform for you, to set your restless heart on his goodness. His grace, his glory, which we see most clearly in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the end of the day, when your head hits that pillow and you close your eyes, what you see is a father who is running out to welcome you home. And on days like that, you will end where Jude does with an amen. Amen. Because you will know that all the glory goes to God for the gospel of grace that gets you to him. You will know that to be true deep down in your heart, that all the glory goes to God for the gospel that gets you to him. All right, so there they are, five practical ways that I hope will help us apply this passage and lead us.
Praise God. Let me end our time together this morning with where we started with another quote from Smith's book, On the Road. Listen as he shares his story and see if any of it resonates with yours. He writes, My father left us when I was 11. I've not seen or heard from him since I was 21, the year that I became a father. My stepfather disappeared when I was 33, and I haven't heard a word from him or laid eyes on him since. I don't know where either of them lives, nor do they know a thing about me. As a father, this is unfathomable to me. I can't imagine my children making their way somewhere in this cold, hard world without knowing we're at home for them. I can't imagine my children as a blank space, vaguely somewhere. Suffice it to say, neither my father nor my stepfather has come looking for me. But a father did. At the heart of the madness of the gospel is an almost unbelievable mystery that speaks to a deep human hunger only intensified by a generation of broken homes. To be seen and known and loved by a father. Maybe navigating the tragedy and heartbreak of this fallen world is realizing this hunger might not be met by the ones we expect or the ones we hope will come looking for us. But then, meeting a father who adopts you, who chooses you, who sees you a long way off and comes running and says, I've been waiting for you. And so, to him, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the kind of Father that your word tells us you really are. Thank you for these promises, and I pray for every single person in the sound of my voice that those who don't yet know you maybe are running from you and this morning have seen you a long way off running toward them. I pray, Father, that they would run and embrace you for the first time. Father, for those of us who may feel discouraged, beat up, maybe we just blew it last night, whatever the case may be, pray we would turn from our sin and we turn to your Son, our Savior, that these promises would lodge deep in our hearts. Thank you, O great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for keeping us. And on that day, presenting us blameless in your presence with great joy. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.